You're listening to PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast. This is episode 39. In this episode, we have Phil Dumaligan, an acute care physical therapist. In our conversation, we talked about his experience handling patients with COVID-19, how the pandemic changed their practice, the current situation now, how they cope and adjusted due to the pandemic, and what he learned from this experience. Now, let's take a listen. All right. So welcome back to another episode of PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast, your weekly serving of insights, information, and inspiration from the experience and expertise of Filipino physical therapists. I am Johan De La Paz, your host. Welcome to the show. So for today's episode, we are going to check in with our fellow physical therapists in the acute care setting and how COVID affected their practice. And my guest today is Phil Dumaligan. He is a double board certified clinical specialist in geriatric and neurologic physical therapy. He has been working in, an, in the acute care setting for, more, uh, for five years now. So here's Phil. Phil, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, a, it's great to have you here. So, um, so before we start, I asked my guests how they started their physical therapy journey. So uh, what's your story? So how did you start as a physical therapist to where you're practicing now? Um, I started my physical therapy journey by applying to my school in the Philippines. Um, it was just a spur of the moment decision. I wasn't really thinking about um, physical therapy as a profession. I didn't really know um, what physical therapists do. But I know it's a course that can get me inside the university compared to the other courses that I like. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my first choice. And um, fortunately, or unfortunately, maybe I passed. Actually, like, I wanted to be a, like, a journalist mm -hmm. or whatever when I was young. So my second choice was journalism. But I passed. And I was accepted as a physical therapist in my school. So that's how I got into physical therapy. And then as I went through the course, I fell in love with the profession. I still didn't, didn't know what a physical therapist can do, but I just love helping people, honestly. Um, and I like activity. I like movement. Um, I like exercising. So I was like, this is maybe the profession for me and then i graduated and then i heard about physical therapy outside of the country outside of the philippines so my options were to apply as a physical therapist maybe in australia or the uk or the us but i think i went to a job fair in 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 my school um, and then healthcare cell was there. So they asked me to submit my resume and I did. And then they called me and then that's how I got um, educated about what physical therapists uh, can do in the U.S. and what's the process of applying as a physical therapist in the U.S. Uh -huh. um, and then I got here. Um, I started as a home health physical therapist in Oregon um, I did some skilled nursing facilities as well, um, per diem, uh -huh. um, and then I moved to California as a home health physical therapist and a per diem skilled nursing facility physical therapist. And then once my contract was up, 
I was thinking about doing something else. I was like thinking about what's the next step I can do. I was, you know, I was looking for more challenges. So fortunately, I applied at St. Helena Hospital in Napa. Um, and I got in and that was my first full-time acute care physical therapy job. And then I worked per diem um, at Memorial Hospital here in um, Santa Rosa. And it's a trauma hospital. Mm-hmm. And then after three, two years, um, I applied at Kaiser um, here in Santa Rosa and I got accepted. So now I'm uh, I'm most, I'm mainly an acute care physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what do you love about being in acute care? I like the dynamic setting. Mm-hmm. So you get different cases. Every day is a new day. You don't get the same cases all the time. Mm-hmm. So I work in different settings in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work in the emergency room. Um, I do a lot of vestibular um, assessment and treatments in the emergency room. I'm trained... Um, I went through the Duke or Emory um, vestibular course that APTA sponsors. It was a week course intensive. I mean, I did a a couple of courses before that. Uh So I provide that service in their emergency room. Although I do other other assessment and treatments to patients with fractures or back pain. Uh And then I work also in our post-anesthesia care unit. Um, for patients who are status uh, or who had total hip and total knee replacements, uh-huh. so our program is designed that we can send these patients home the same day of their surgery. Wow! So I also work in that in that setting, um, and then I work in the ICU as well, which I love at the mm-hmm. moment, or mm-hmm. maybe I love. <laughs> for my career uh-huh. <laughs> i'm not super sure um and then i work at the uh telemetry unit uh mm-hmm. cardiac unit and then the, the med surge floor so every day is a new day and every 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 day is not boring so okay so so our our, our discussion today is uh how covid affected the practice you, you mentioned that you you've been working in different uh units in, in the hospital pre-covid so when covid hit were you still practicing in in different uh, in those different units, or were you concentrated on one unit? I still do. I do. I practice. Um, it, it's a small hospital, mm-hmm. and we are a small department, so we mm-hmm. are required to rotate. Um, and and one day you're you're gonna work at the post anesthesia unit. You'll work at the ED area, and then you'll go see patients in the ICU. So, and. Patients with COVID are not just in the ICU, so mm-hmm. you'll see them in the emergency room and in oh. different areas of the hospital. Ah, wow. I try to be as vague, so I'm not um, right, right. giving out right. <laughs> PHI. <laughs> correct, um, correct. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's as general as I can. Right. So, what's, uh, so at present, uh, September, right now September, and uh, what's the current atmosphere now in in at least with the, the hospital that you're working at in terms of uh, COVID, in terms of um, like how strict uh, the admission is and stuff like that? Um, I think there's less fear mm-hmm. 
um, in the acute care setting. This, mm -hmm. I mean, we are cautious. Uh -huh. um, being af unafraid doesn't mean you're not cautious. Right. Um, but compared to February and uh -huh. March, uh -huh. um, when it all started trickling right. in, uh -huh. we were, it was, it was this virus that was very unknown. We didn't know how the presentation, there's different symptoms. You read or you hear a lot of symptoms in the news. Uh -huh. um, and then we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know if our PPE is enough. Uh -huh. We didn't know if our PPE is adequate for protection. Uh -huh. So th those were the issues that we were dealing with. Uh -huh. um, but now I think we're better prepared um, to take care of these patients. We have adequate PPE and I would only speak for the facility that I am working in. Uh -huh. um, it, it's stricter for sure. Uh -huh. um, compared to the pre-pandemic times, um, we're, we're screened all the time. You can't come into work if you have some symptoms. Right. Um, you know, you have to wear the proper head. You have to be masked. You have to have a headgear. You have to have a face shield. Even if you're uh, working with patients who don't have who, who don't have the diagnosis, uh -huh. so it's stricter. But now I think we're better prepared. There's less anxiety. But we're yeah. still, um, we're still very, very cautious. Mm -hmm. I would say. So we, we, you mentioned about PPEs in, in in your setting. What are the PPEs that you're wearing at work? So the standard PPE at work with um, is a surgical mask, mm -hmm. a face shield, mm -hmm. um, and then gloves when you're working with the patient. Mm -hmm. If you are working with someone who has the diagnosis in, say, the ward where, where all these patients are, mm -hmm. um, then you would wear an N95 mask, mm -hmm. um, a face shield or goggles, mm -hmm. um, and then you'll wear a gown, an uh, mm -hmm. impermeable gown, mm -hmm. uh, and then gloves, and then shield for your shoes. Mm -hmm. So you're, 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 you're protected. But when mm -hmm. you go to the ICU and you're working with patients who are in a room that has aerosolizing procedures, right. like if they're um, on mechanical ventilation uh -huh. or if they're having oxygen supplement by a high flow nasal cannula or BiPAP, then you're required to wear a capper. Uh, so What's that? you look like an astronaut, it's oh. like an astronaut helmet. And then you're connected to this machine that blows air uh, into your face so um you're more protected from mm -hmm. the droplets mm -hmm. or the airborne particles mm -hmm. that's on top of the the full uh the full suit that you were wearing oh, i yeah. see okay and you also uh touched on the difference between when um covid started back in february and march to now so how is it different compared to pre-COVID like a year ago to now? What what has changed? I think what changed is the amount of hospital acquired uh, conditions. Mm -hmm. I think there's less in there's less infection in the hospital. I think we're cleaner. Mm -hmm. 
I think we're cleaner. I'm not saying we're not clean before, but mm-hmm. I think because we're taking all these extra precautions, we're cleaning right. everything. There's less hospital-acquired infections. Mm-hmm. Um, we're more efficient as a team. We're more collaborative as a team mm-hmm. versus pre-pandemic times. Mm-hmm. Um, this pandemic has forced us to maybe um, tackle some roles that are traditionally not um, done by a physical therapist mm-hmm. pre-pandemic times. So. Mm-hmm. It's just us making sure that we're part of the team and we're doing our best to help the team uh, Mm -hmm. deliver the right care to the patient at the right time. Mm -hmm. So that might mean that uh, when I'm in a patient's room um, and they need to uh, go to the toilet Mm -hmm. um, and you're already gowned up, you know, Mm -hmm. you're there. You normally or maybe other places they'll call for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since you're there and you're prepared to help, then you have to help the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that will also, in a way, help uh, help the facility be good stewards of the PPE provided to that facility. Right. So mm-hmm. That's the difference, I think, right now versus pre-pandemic times. Right. And, and those are the things that we uh, take for granted, right? Like communication. Uh, I, I do understand because I work in, in a skilled nursing facility and we were um, more collaborative, as you mentioned, since there are areas that are for observation. Then we do want to like know what's going on minute by minute, hour by hour from the, the nurses to the other disciplines. So I do understand that. And also, as you mentioned, cleaner because we uh, we are very cautious now and very mindful of what we're uh, our cleanliness. It's not like I'd like to mention that it's not that we're uh, dirty before, but you know we're more uh, we're thinking about it more, right? Yeah. For our for ourselves and for our patients. And for the patients. Right. So um, let's talk about. Uh, handling people or our, our patients with uh, COVID. So, so, so those for those who you you saw uh, that had a diagnosis, what are the physical therapy management that are generally provided to them? It all depends on the type of patient, um, the age of the patient, and then how they presented. So, I'll probably try and give three examples without mm-hmm. trying to um, I'll, I'll try to be as generalist yeah general so yes <laughs> so they're in the ICU and uh-huh. um, they get intubated mm-hmm. because of COVID-19 so mm-hmm. they'll probably get acute respiratory failure and mm-hmm. then they'll probably get septic mm-hmm. so they would require protection of the airway and then mechanical mm-hmm. ventilation so if I get mm-hmm. these patients um, if they are very sedated um, and they're having a hard time um, with their perfusion, then I'll be part of the proning team. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not required uh, to be to do the proning for all the patients because our nurses are very proactive. Mm-hmm. But when they ask for help, then we're required to help. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the first intervention that I can uh, provide for these patients. Mm-hmm. Proning doesn't necessarily mean that we're treating the patients, but we're just making sure that we're freeing up uh, some of the alveoli, uh, more opportunities for gas exchange. Right. Um, I've seen patients recover. I've seen patients um, pass away even with proning. Um, so once in the ICU, they, they can pass uh, the spontaneous awakening trial, meaning mm-hmm. they're able to be awake, mm-hmm. not sedated, um, and still breathe through the vent. Mm-hmm. Then I would start checking if they're able to uh, participate in physical activities. So say they're able to um, follow my commands mm-hmm. um, and they're not very delirious to a point where they can't participate, then I will start having them sit up. Uh Most of the time when I have them sit up, um, if they're in the hospital for a while, then they'll probably have some secretions. Uh And once I sit up, um, their lungs are in an optimal position to cough. Most Uh of the time I find them coughing and then um, I try and help by uh, suctioning either through the trach or through the endotracheal tube. So that's mm-hmm. through the mouth or through the, um, through the neck area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes if I can still hear that they're gurgling, uh, mm-hmm. I'll provide chest percussion um, mm-hmm. and then try and suction again. Most of the time, this helps take off the mucus plug and it also helps them um, be on a minimal settings on mechanical ventilation, uh-huh. which means that they'll stay on the vent for a shorter duration versus being on a vent for a longer duration. And that's uh-huh. what we want. We want them to be on a vent for a shorter duration. Okay. Um, and then once they're able to um, tolerate sitting, then I'll try to have them stand if they can. Uh-huh. Um, if they can stand, then I'll try and have them transfer to a chair. So uh-huh. I'll do some walking. A uh-huh. little bit of walking, depending on how much they can tolerate. Uh-huh. Um, and then from there, I will endorse it to the nurses that these patients can be upright. So once uh-huh. they're upright, it's better for their lungs, uh-huh. um, better ventilation versus perfusion ratio. So most of the time when we get these patients up, uh, they stay on the vent shorter, for a shorter duration, they get extubated. And then from there, we can give them exercises or walking inside the room um, Mm -hmm. and more mobility. Mm -hmm. If I see a patient in, say, um, a med surge ward or Mm -hmm. a telemetry ward, Mm -hmm. then I would do more functional um, treatments. So Mm -hmm. it's more mobility treatments and exercises. Um, We... I've seen a study in Chicago about self-proning for patients who are on high flow uh, nasal cannula. I haven't seen the results of that study. Uh, but for me, I prefer the patients to be more upright, sitting up, standing and moving versus having them self-prone and be in bed. Uh-huh. So I always encourage mobility out of, uh, out of bed mobility. They can brush their teeth. They can eat. Uh-huh. They can go to the bathroom. Um, and all that stuff. And that's where um, you can be collaborative or you can actually do some of the roles yeah. that other um, disciplines are doing. So uh-huh. if a patient needs to be fed and you're there, um, sometimes I 
go a little bit extra and just try and have them feed themselves or assist them with feeding and all that stuff. Because a lot of these patients are isolated, isolated for a long time. Um, And they're not doing hourly rounding for these patients compared to before because we're trying to be good stewards of PPE. Uh So every time that another healthcare professional is in the room, they try to maximize that time by making sure that they can attend to the patient's needs. So that's how collaborative um, our practice has evolved in this setting. Um, When I'm in the emergency room Uh and obviously there is something that they want me to do for the patient, say a patient with vestibular um, diagnosis, uh-huh. um, but they were swabbed and they were found um, COVID positive, uh-huh. then I have to be extra careful. Some of the maneuvers I do um, require me to hold the patient and be in close contact with the patient. Uh-huh. So um, I'm trying to... I'm trying to do more hands-off uh-huh. um, treatments. Sometimes uh-huh. I can actually, if, if it's a younger type of patients and they can um, follow directions, uh-huh. I can actually just have them do the Epley uh, maneuver uh-huh. uh, without me touching them for so much. Uh-huh. Because most of the time, I feel more comfortable with the patients in the ICU because they're already receiving treatments, like remdesivir or other um, drugs. Uh-huh. But for patients in the ED, um, if we just swab them and you found that they were uh, positive, the likelihood of being more uh, contagious is higher. And that might be me. Do not quote me on that. I don't have uh, scientific evidence to back me up. But that's just my opinion. So I try to be as hands-off as possible, but still provide the care. That- you tend to be creative in, in providing your uh, treatment as well, trying to be uh, keep safe for you and your other patients because you're going in different units. So that patient's not your only patient for that day. So yeah, yeah, you you learn to be creative as well. Um, You mentioned that um, in people or patients who were in ventilators, you tried like to get them as mobile as possible. I I saw a a video um, uh, before that like two or three people are walking someone with a lot of attachments. Did, do you do that as well? When, if, pre-pandemic times, mm-hmm. yes, because mm-hmm. we can walk them out in the hallways. Right. Um, but now, most of the time, the, the mobility is limited inside the room. Oh, gotcha. Uh-huh. So it's so hard to to walk a patient with a vent in the hallways, mm-hmm. um, unless and un, unless I'm in a facility where ev- everybody in the ICU is is considered positive. Mm-hmm. And I know that some I know some of the centers out there, um, most of the, most of if not all of the ICU wards are positive, so they mm-hmm. can do that. They can walk patients right. out of the room. But right. for our facility in general, mm-hmm. we try not. Mm-hmm. So but pre-pandemic the, times we do. Right. Um, so what's the general um, physical therapy goal for, for someone who was uh, tested uh, with, the, with the diagnosis of COVID? Uh, what's the general uh, goal for them once they, they, they say that, uh, 
you see that they're fit for physical therapy? So my goal is to try and get them to do the highest level of mobility possible mm -hmm. that they can tolerate. Mm -hmm. So if the highest level of mobility for today is standing, then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. The highest level of mobility that they can tolerate is sitting at the edge of the bed with exercises, then mm -hmm. I'll be happy. But that's always our goal, whether we're, we are in the ICU or in the ward. Our right. goal is to make sure that when we are there, we promote the highest level of mobility for the patient. Mm -hmm. Because the more mobile they are, obviously, less delirium, mm -hmm. um, lesser, stay in the, le lesser length of stay in the mm -hmm. acute care setting. Yeah. And then plus... And I might be just speaking for our facility, but their goal, the goal of our facility is to send patients home mm -hmm. after a hospital stay. So we, we try our best to make sure that the patient is safe to go home. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we're always trying to promote early mobility um, mm -hmm. in a different units of the hospital. Um, because I think our facility found out when they did their um, quality improvement um, studies that mm -hmm. if we try and send patients home, there's less likelihood of readmissions, it, provided that we make sure that um, they're safe, we give them the mm -hmm. right care, and then we give them the right caregiver assistance and transitions of care. Um, so that's, that's why we're very aggressive with mobility. Mm -hmm. um, right. But mm -hmm. obviously, if the patient needs uh, a higher level of care, and right. what their caregivers can provide right. um, at home, then we will definitely make sure that we provide the right discharge disposition. So maybe long-term an LPAC or yeah. a skilled nursing facility or maybe home with home health. So when this uh, uh, pandemic began to really um, become a crisis, uh, this COVID became like, a pandemic when it started like January, February, around that, that time, March? No, I think for this area uh -huh. of California, uh -huh. I think it became a crisis uh, starting May, May, May. and June. Mm -hmm. So, so when, when that started, what were your um, thoughts, like having been in, in the acute care setting, what were your thoughts or your sentiments when it began, began to like boom up? Because um, for us in, in, in skilled nursing, we were like worried how, because for skilled nursing, we weren't like ready. We don't know what to expect. And, and we've been hearing news that about this and that, and, and it was just, we're just starting to know about the diseases, but you're literally in the, uh, front line so to speak like you're the first area or setting that uh these patients are going to go in so in, in terms of your practice and getting ready to accept the fact that you may uh, have a pa patients with with the diagnosis what were your thought process in that so when that happened, mm -hmm. we, as a department in our mm -hmm. hospital, started talking amongst ourselves um, about the virus. Mm -hmm. um, we did um, we 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 did a lit literature review. Mm -hmm. um, this was in March mm -hmm. um, about 
what are the recommendations, um, what, is, what, are the, what are the safety recommendations um, for healthcare practitioners who are handling these patients, mm -hmm. um, what are the isolation best practices, um, right. when are we needed, uh, are we needed right away for these patients or not. Yeah. Um, so we did a liter literature review um, yeah. on that, and most of the, li li the literature was done, or came from China and Italy. Uh -huh. And then it came from the UK. It didn't yeah. come from, from the US. Uh -huh. So most of our information, I think, was based on that. Uh -huh. um, and then once New York started doing um, their studies, uh -huh. and once more data came from New York, then we're, we were able to, to get more information about how, how the virus is in the US and what's the best practices in different areas in, in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and then also APTA had uh, this series about oh, right. um, yeah. handling COVID. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just acute care setting, but it was it was very very um, informative. And these mm -hmm. were um, uh, done by by PTs that I admire mm -hmm. um, and PTs that I actually had. Uh, I took their CEU classes, mm -hmm. um, so we we tried to gather that information and then. By end of March, I was part of the team that presented to our outpatient physical therapists um, about COVID, um, what are the treatment recommendations for COVID, COVID what are the mm -hmm. exercise guidelines uh, mm -hmm. for patients with COVID and all that stuff. So we tried to, to, do a, uh, to present the best practices that we could find in the literature. Mm -hmm. But in the during February, March, mm -hmm. it was just a lot of, there's a lot of fear, mm -hmm, right. but there was not that much patience. Mm -hmm. There was yeah. not that much patience, maybe because at that time they were going to the big centers mm -hmm. like UCSF or Stanford, mm -hmm. um, but we were getting, we were getting patients, but mm -hmm. we're not getting as much. Mm -hmm. So it was weird because we we're already like preparing for the pandemic. We're already trying to prepare our PPE. We're trying to, to ration out our PPE. Mm -hmm. But there's no wave. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Okay. There's a trickle of patients, but there's oh. no wave. All right. And then we stopped surgeries at that time. So the hospital was actually quiet. We, uh -huh. we stopped elective surgeries. Uh -huh. And then once they allowed elective surgeries to happen, um, the hospital started um, to have more patients, but it was still a trickle until um, May and June. Uh -huh. That was when the second wave hit. Uh -huh. And I think... Um, it was already super spread in the community. So now we were getting different types of patients. Uh -huh. So at that time, um, the common notion was, oh, these are going to be patients who are older. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, because um, that's what... Instead we're like, oh, this, this, this virus is just for, uh, for people who have a lot of comorbidities or uh -huh. um, for patients who are older. Yeah. And then without divulging too much, then you will see a lot of diversity in mm -hmm. the second wave when, when the second wave hit that's when we realized oh there's it's you know it hits the diverse um, age, group. age groups mm -hmm. so it was very very interesting to see i mean mm -hmm. obviously right. uh, it's a scary kind of, uh, it's a scary virus but it was mm -hmm. very interesting to see um the types of patients that it affects right. um and then that's but before before the wave People were like, oh, maybe, maybe, 
maybe it's not scary after all. Mm-hmm. And then when the second wave hit, that's when we're, we were, oh, okay, now this is the wave. And now we have yeah. to be cautious and now we have to, uh, you know, to brace in and make sure that we're, we're being safe and we're mm-hmm. being, um, we're following best practice guidelines because we don't want um, to, you know, to help spread the virus in the community. Mm-hmm. So we were we were being extra extra careful. That mm-hmm. might mean we're not going out in the community. I tried not to hang out mm-hmm. with friends. Uh, I tried not to hang out with friends who have kids, mm-hmm. or have newborn. So I was very very conscientious about the people that I hang out with. So most mm-hmm. most of the people that hang out I hang out with were colleagues at work, mm-hmm. right? Um, because it was it was that scary. Like I don't want to be that person who will spread it in that community. Mm-hmm. Every time I go to the grocery store, I try not to, you know, to touch a lot yeah. of things because I, I was more afraid of being the spreader mm-hmm. versus, you know, versus getting it right. just because I've already encountered the virus. Yeah, I understand. Like, um, if ever we have like, in uh, um, uh, the previous work that I had, if there's uh, a staff that tested positive, I am like, I'm going to keep myself in my apartment. I'm not going to go out. I would feel guilty if I, I'll be the one to, to spread the virus to other relatives or family members. And of course, also in, in my neighbors. So I was really, yeah, I don't want to bear that burden of being the one that carried the virus. Yeah. To them. So what did uh, this, uh, or what has this situation taught you or still teaching you until now um being prepared um and thinking out of the box mm-hmm. there were a lot of challenging challenging situations where it was hard to discharge patients mm-hmm. because there were issues with the disposition mm-hmm. um and normally we once patients meet their goals, then we, tr- you know, we try to endorse their mobility needs to nursing staff. Mm-hmm. But because of challenges with discharge disposition, you know, based on be- based on the ethics that mm-hmm. um, our profession um, tries to encourage, then we we have a duty to make sure that these patients are being taken care of, and we still try. Um, and do our part and, and, and do mobility treatments for these patients. So that was, that was one of the challenging parts that I have to learn um, because I can't, some of the guidelines that we, 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 we have um, shouldn't apply in this pandemic, pandemic mm-hmm. times. Right. So I have to think out of the box uh, and think of ways on how to, to continue mobility treatments, um, how to prepare them for going home, even if they're just limited to one room. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking of other treatments um, that I can do for patients, um, recreational treatments maybe, um, to make sure that I still have their attention, they're not bored, um, right. they don't feel depressed uh, mm-hmm. because they can't go home or they can't go somewhere. Right. So that, that that was the biggest lesson. Other Other lessons are how to patient handling how to handle patients um with more lines and less hands um how how can you uh, mobilize the patient safely 
Uh, normally, I have three. With more oh, lines? More lines and less hands. What's that? So, norm so normally in the ICU, uh, if I have a patient with a lot of lines, then I have, to mo I have two or three people. Oh, lines oh. attached to them. Yeah. Lines attached to them, yeah. Oh, more lines, less lines. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> now I only have two hands. Uh -huh. So, how can I make it safe uh, for the patient? So, mm -hmm. that might mean that. Um, I have to use a safety vest attached to a lift. Um, I normally use the lift for lifting patients, but now I use the safety vest um, and attach it to the patient. So at least I know that if they fall or have a loss of balance, I don't have to be there to catch them. The vest will hold them. Right. Um, and then I can manage the lines and cue the patient and have them move um, inside the room. So those, those things, um, we're, we, we normally don't do that before, but now because of, the pandemic we're mm -hmm. doing and we're we're we're, think, we're realizing that hey you know what even after the covid pandemic we can do this for patients we can use mm -hmm. the safety vests inside the patient's room and maybe we can um have less falls in the facility mm -hmm. and we can actually encourage nursing the nursing staff to to use that so that they don't have to call us sometimes to troubleshoot mobility tasks with these patients mm -hmm. so that was one of the things that i learned and then gowning and gloving and all that stuff, uh -huh. um, that needs a lot of creativity. Uh -huh. Sometimes when you go in patients' rooms, one glove is not enough. So <laughs> um, you got to glove up, you got to make sure that you, you prepare yourself as much mm -hmm. before you enter uh, mm -hmm. and make sure you have everything with right. you. Because mm -hmm. once you're there, it's hard to get out. Get out. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it's hard to ask for, for help. Mm -hmm. So those things, thinking out of the box, being more prepared. I think I'm compared uh, to pre-pandemic times. I try to uh, prepare more now mm -hmm. for patient treatments. Not that I wasn't doing that, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm preparing more. Right. I'm trying to set myself up for success when I see the patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned, now we, we, we learn to be more conscientious about everything. Uh, we don't want to be like surprised with whatever we're going to handle. So yes. being prepared is really, really important. Are you still seeing uh, patients with, uh, with that diagnosis till now? Uh -huh. But does it, yes. did it trickle down a little compared to the second wave? I wouldn't say it has trickled down. I think uh -huh. we are still, still, Maybe in a plateau now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The second wave is in a plateau in 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 our county. Right. I can only speak in our county. I mean, the, the wards are still full. Cool. Let's mm -hmm. just say that. Yes. Yeah. Um, in terms of treatments, medical treatments, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. they're intubating the right people, mm -hmm. making sure that um, not everybody's intubated. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to make sure that the patients who don't need intubation are not intubated. Um, and they're trying to to do more or less invasive um, oxygen supplementation. And I think mm -hmm. that also helps. Mm -hmm. And then obvious sedation, um, trying to ensure that we don't sed over sedate. The thing that people don't understand, I, I, maybe they do, but once a patient is being proned in an ICU, mm -hmm. they're being paralyzed. Okay. There is... They're on a paralytic. Uh -huh. So 
we're proning them, but we're, they're, they're on a paralytic so that they can tolerate these positions for long and they're oh. being sedated. Okay. Heavy sedation. Mm-hmm. So once they, they wake up mm-hmm. um, and get out of that sedation, they're very delirious and weak because they're, they're, they're being paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there is a conscious effort to make sure that we don't go down that road for all the patients. Because mm-hmm. if, if you have if you have a 20 bed ICU and you have 10 patients who are being proned mm-hmm. on a paralytic, mm-hmm. there is a higher chance of of mortality for these patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think now we we we've learned a lot from 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 the first wave of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So that's right. that's an encouraging sign. I'm not saying we're curing it, yeah. but it's just that we're delivering the right care. Mm-hmm. I think the proper care at this mm-hmm. time compared to before. Mm-hmm. And and the more that we learn from it, and the the more that we can uh, provide the best care uh, possible for them. Right. Okay. So like uh, I would like to thank you for sharing your time with us. And your experience in the acute care setting and also want to acknowledge you for uh your creativity and, and your uh what do you call this and your heart in, in serving uh, our patients in, in the acute care so uh i just have my last bites my last three questions for you uh before i let you go so first one is for patients who had uh the experience or or had bouts I had about with the COVID uh, virus. Um, what is the most important thing that they should do as soon as possible or as soon as they can? When they're they're in the hospital or when they're at home? Uh, probably in their in their hos- in the hospital. In the hospital. Let's say in the hospital. Um, movement. Mm-hmm. Movement helps. Mm-hmm. Movement helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I uh, I can't emphasize it that much because mm-hmm. when once you're moving your your lungs um, you can expectorate things in your lungs phlegm um, once you're moving then um, you have a better oxygen versus perfusion ratio mm-hmm. um, so you're breathing better mm-hmm. um, and then once you're moving you're preventing yourself from getting more infection say mm-hmm. urinary tract infection because you can't go to the bathroom right. or um, other infection that you can get to the, uh, in the hospital, you, you, you prevent yourself from getting pneumonia. So move um, as soon as possible, but as safe as possible. And uh, second question uh, for our fellow ph- uh, physical therapist um, who is working in the acute care setting or who wants to work in the acute care setting, um, what should they possess to to be great in the acute care practice? I think, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound racist, but I think Filipinos are best suited to work in the acute care setting because we don't, most of the time we don't say no. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not afraid um, to do our best. Um, We always have the heart to serve patients. Mm -hmm. Um, We're very collaborative. Mm-hmm. We have the Bayanihan, I mean, I don't know, that's me. I think we have mm-hmm. the Bayanihan concept that, right. you know, we want to work with other people and work as mm-hmm. a team. Um, so I think if you, have, if you have that as a Filipino physical therapist, you're already, you already have the core. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. become a successful kicker physical therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking out of the box, being flexible, mm-hmm. um, and making sure that you have you can do great clinical decision um, on the fly with mm-hmm. little time. If you if you're able to develop that. Uh, then you'll do. You'll be able to do well in in acute care setting. And but the other the the last thing is communication because when you're in acute care setting, you're not you're not isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not an island. So you work best and you will deliver the best care when you communicate and collaborate with team members. So um, that's something that you first day make sure you communicate. Make sure you collaborate. Because sometimes if you don't get the right information, then you might not, you might not give the best care. Right. That's great advice. Communication, collaboration, and your, uh, our, our Filipino trait of by any hand by and any hand. Uh, heart of service, right? All right. And my third question is, um, the show is entitled um, PT Meal. It's a complete meal of um experience and uh, expertise about our from our Filipino physical therapists so my question is what are the three ingredients that make up Phil uh, it can be a, uh, a motto that you believe in maybe an attribute a characteristic or maybe the 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 three truths that you believe in that you live by so what are the three ingredients that make up who you are this is a hard question to answer. Um, I hope I get a crown afterwards. No, I'm kidding. Um, first is heart, um, because I think that's the core of um, a person. Um, if you don't have heart, then um, it's hard to justify what you're what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So everything um, that I do, I think, is from the heart. Um, the second ingredient. Um, is service. Uh-huh. I like to help. I think it's in my nature to help. So doing something for others, uh, doing them a favor, or making sure that um, I can help someone who needs help, uh-huh. uh, that gives, that makes me smile. So every uh-huh. time I go, I come out of work and I know I help someone, even just one person, even if I had a bad day or have a belligerent person that I was helping. If I know I helped that person, then that just made my day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one is smile. Mm-hmm. I like to smile and I like to make people smile. So mm-hmm. if I make someone smile, um, <laughs> even a patient, um, I always try. I always try. It doesn't happen all the time. But mm-hmm. I always try to make sure that um, I end a session with a smile. Mm-hmm. Because whatever you do, um, if you make them smile, I think that, that will leave a lasting impression and that will also help their psyche. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Heart, so, service, service, and smile. And smile. All right. And I'm confidently right. beautiful with the heart. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I want to thank you for sharing your experience with us. I'm sure a lot of people would um, learn from that. Um, so for our takeaway, our pabao and to our listeners, uh, what do you want the listeners to take away from this episode? Um, I want them to um, realize that Filipinos are, Filipino physical therapists can be the best. Um, 
here in the U.S. and in other places, um, we have we want to be excellent with what we do and we want to serve. And that I think uh, drives us to be the best in what we do. But we also have a heart, so uh, we care about people and we care about each other. So that's that's my takeaway. Be proud of being a Filipino physical therapist. All right, great. Here's a crown. <laughs> All right. So again, uh, thank you very much, Phil, for being the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And there you have it. Another episode of PTV Physical Therapy Podcast. Thank you for listening. And uh, if you haven't followed my social media, the social media of this podcast, uh, go look for it in Facebook and Instagram at PT Meal Podcast or just search PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast. If you have any questions or you want to contact me, you can do so in those social media and uh, you can email me at ptmealpodcast at gmail.com. If you have, uh, if you want to uh, feature someone that you know who have something to share, uh, some interesting topic or an experience, just you can also do that. Message me. I am always open to suggestion. And again, thank you very much for listening. It has been uh, six, almost six months now, and you are still there. So please keep on supporting. Uh, share the podcast to your friends uh, the episode uh, tag me if you're listening so that I know that you're, um, you're enjoying the show or the episode that you're listening to so again stay tuned for the next episode see ya